Welcome to Podcasting Stories, insights and interviews from people just like you, using podcasts to grow their business and share their message. Podcasting Stories is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray. Today, my guest on the very first episode of Podcasting Stories is Ilsa Rue, the Chief Operating Officer for the Houston-based CPA firm of Briggs & Baselka. In this interview, we talk about several things. Uh, Ilsa is considering starting a podcast, and so she had a lot of questions. So we got into some of her questions, some of the ways she's thinking about using a podcast for her firm. Uh, We also talked about the history of the firm, uh, what they have done uh, with marketing thus far, and how the podcast will fit with that. And we also talked about why she's such a fan of outsourcing uh, technical items. And uh, that's an interesting to hear her perspective on that. So uh, this was an awesome interview. Ilsa's really uh, fun to, to, to listen to. She has a delightful South African accent. And I hope you enjoy listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. My guest today is Ilsa Rue, the COO of the Houston-based CPA firm of Briggs & Maselka. Ilsa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, David. So um, we've had uh, on my uh, other podcast, the IC Disc Show, I had two of your your partners on there, actually the former managing partner, John Fladowitz, and the current managing partner of Sheila Enriquez. So... um, uh, this kind of completes the trifecta by being the third person from the firm that I've interviewed. And you have the unique position of being the very first guest on the new podcast, Podcasting Story. So so thank you for, uh, for being on the podcast. That's great. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, I think I'm part learning and um, definitely interested in, in understanding more about how this is going to work. Well, excellent. So why don't we just start by um, uh, by just talking a bit about uh, the firm and the time since you've joined. So uh, when did you join the firm? And then just tell me a bit about the firm for our listeners who are not familiar with the firm. Yeah, I joined. Um, I'm a newbie, but in pandemic years, it's been a very long time. Um, <laughs> um, I joined in February 2019. Um, Sheila and I talked about the position probably for 18 months before I started. Uh, so I had a, it was, it was a very enlightened start to the position. I kind of knew what, what I was walking into, everything that was going on. Um, and I, she just won me over. She has this amazing passion for, for this company and for the people that work here. And um, through that course of that 18 months, I also spoke to John Flatterwood, who you mentioned. And um, between the two of them, they're hard to say no to. So uh, I started February 2019 um, and tasked with getting our operations ready for exponential future growth. Um, I'm responsible for all of operations, marketing, HR, uh, accounting, operations, administration, and information technology. Um, wow, that's a lot. That's a lot on your plate. It's exciting. Yeah, it's a lot and it's exciting. And I couldn't do it without the team 
that um, I work with for sure. That's great. Now, I, uh, as some of the listeners may know, I actually worked at Briggs and Veselka for several years in the early 2000s, 2002 to like, I think about 2004. And uh, back then, the firm, when I worked there, there were about 50 people that worked there. Now, I understand there's a few more people today. Uh, how many people are you all up to today? You know, I don't have our latest count, but I believe it's around 324. 324. That's, uh, if I'm doing my math right, that's a 7x growth, almost 7x growth from, <laughs> yes. from when I was, uh, from when I was there. So yeah. and it's interesting. I was just going to say, cause when I was there, there were other firms in Houston that were in that same size. There were, you know, maybe kind of a half dozen firms, I think in that sort of 50 to 75 range, all local firms like Briggs and Maselka. But I look today and those firms have either been acquired by, you know, by larger firms or they've stayed independent and have not really grown much. They've maybe grown up 75 or 100 people. So what what's the what's going on over there at Briggs and Veselka that they've had just such phenomenal growth? I think there's a commitment to staying independent. Um, and, you know, there's it's a combination of organic growth and acquisitions. Um, I think the the culture wins people over the same way, um, you know, John and Sheila won me over. So there's a very focused effort on finding organizations that fit our culture. And once they get to know the leadership team and understand how we operate and how people focus, um, the entire organization is, it becomes an, an easy yes to become part of Briggs. Okay. I know when I had John on my other podcast that he had mentioned, because even back to when I worked at the firm, John always had a growth focus. And I remember I asked him one day and he said, look, he goes, here's the deal. We have so many great people. And if we follow the path of a traditional firm that doesn't grow much, there's limited opportunity. You know, there's only, you know, X amount of partner slots. In fact, when I was there in the early 2000s, I think there were, it was either seven or eight partners. And John said, if we don't grow and a partner retires only every five years, then we have only one new partner slot every five years. And we have all these great people that we're going to lose. So I remember distinctly that that was part of John's rationale was he wanted to ensure that he could keep and have a, a growth path for, for his best people. Is that, is that still a part of the plan? Would you say? Absolutely. John is always so eloquent. I love I love the way that you expressed to me how he said he put that. Yeah. Um, there are fantastic people. Um and there's a, a huge focus on succession planning, um, which helps, you know, it helps when when you're out talking to people, the fact that we do want to grow and nurture people and give them a place show them the path. Sheila's always talking about show them the path show them where they can get to um, make sure that we don't limit them in their growth. Sure. That, uh, that makes sense. And, and it's obviously worked because, and I'm curious, how many partners and uh, directors do you all have today? I believe we're up to 32 partners and I would have to look up the director number for you. Um, wow. That's, that's a great still question. Amazing. Yeah. But that that gives me an idea, though. Again, like the growth since you've been there, yeah, yeah, it is uh, it has grown <laughs> a lot. 
Um, so let's let's just talk a bit more uh, about the firm for the folks who uh, didn't catch my interviews on the other podcast with John and Sheila. Um, so just could you give me a little bit of the history of the firm? You know how long it's been around, you know how it got started, and um, and, and such. Yeah. So um, as I said, newbie. So um, I I usually am the one listening to these stories. <laughs> and um, you know, and I'm absorbed by them. But for sure, uh, the company started in in 1973, so around for 47 years. Um, I always remember that because that's also the year Sheila and I were born. Um, okay. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's it's been an evolution of partners. Probably the early years of which you can speak to better than better than me. Um, when I started in 2019, we were just on the tail end of of several acquisitions um, that had expanded us from Houston into the Woodlands with Pathway Forensics, um, a Woodland CPA firm. We had three in Austin. We always had the location in El Campo. Um, so I was on the tail end. I started on the tail end of that kind of exponential growth that we saw right before 2019 um, and I was there for the integration of all those all those companies into the Houston processes and systems and and culture and what I can speak to is is watching that people focus and that focus on ensuring that everybody finds a place and that we're compassionate and empathetic as we incorporate everybody into the organization. We're still the fir- the largest independent um, firm in Houston, and I believe we hold the third largest accounting firm in the Southwest as well. Uh, top 100 firm nationally. Um, just a truly wonderful culture and place to work with, to work at. Um, Sheila and John and the, the executive committee are continuing to look on how they're going to expand. Um, they're focused on being Texas based. Uh, that has not changed. Um, the focus on continuing to stay independent hasn't changed. Um, in terms of what we offer our clients, uh, we've, Organized it very well into three large, into three departments: consulting, audit, and tax. Um, in tax, we offer all the traditional tax services, including international tax, um, audit. We've organized by lines of business, everything from SEC to employee benefits plans. And then on the consulting side is where we do the uh, finance, the forensics. Uh, digital forensics and e-discovery through Pathway Forensics, cybersecurity, um, IT advisory. Honestly, we we are a one-stop shop for clients um, to get help them get their house in order, make sure that their data is secure, um, getting them ready for whatever their plans may be. And through the Capital Advisor Group, we're also able to help them transition if um, their succession plan is to exit their business. Okay. You're right. That's a really comprehensive uh, offering for, um, uh, for you know, those kind of mid-market companies. Um, and so you'd mentioned the SEC work. So you all are, are doing public company audit work now? That's right. Yeah. 
yeah, back when I worked there, they uh, they were the the focus was still on the the private company. So it's been uh, it's been fun to to watch the the firm grow over the last couple decades. Um, well, well, thank you for that background on the firm. What I'd like to do now is kind of dive into sort of uh, you know some of the current marketing initiatives, and you know maybe talk about uh, where the marketing was when you arrived and some of the changes you've made. And uh, because it's just a recipient of the marketing, I've always been very Im- impressed with it for you know, at least the last four or five years. It just seems like the marketing function just seems to be pretty well uh, organized. So could you talk a bit about the marketing as far as uh, where it stood when you got there and what uh, additions you've uh, shepherded? Absolutely. Um, marketing, when I started, Look, the company has got a great reputation. It's uh, easy to market a company with a good reputation, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> that's half the work done. Uh, when I started in 2019, um, we had a strong focus on events, on kind of the PR business development of of um, marketing. And Thankfully, honestly, I I thank my lucky stars for this. In that first year after starting, I spent quite a bit of time in getting us organized around um, pay-per-click campaigns, SEO, a very strong focus on the marketing that works while you're sleeping. Um, You know, there's, there's only so many events that you can go to, but once that event is over, your marketing is no longer working because um, it's over. So the, in 2019, I spent quite a bit of time with the team in figuring out how we want to organize the website, uh, what our initiatives are, what our core growth areas are, what the areas are that we want to expand in. And we built marketing campaigns um, and pay p- per click campaigns specifically in that first year to serve that. And you know as well as everybody else, the pay-per-click campaign, you invest in it once and then it's an asset that you have that you turn on and turn off as the market, as you move through your marketing or business development year. Um, that work, unbeknownst to us at the time, served us very, very well when COVID hit. Um, when COVID hit, we had got our house in order in terms of our CRO, in terms of our SEO. It was, you know, we were seeing great numbers on that side. And we had the pay-per-click campaigns that we basically just ramped up in the absence of being able to do any events. Something that we did on the information technology side, which I was very unpopular for at the time, uh, I got rid of desk phones and we moved to the, the, our full telephony platform is Zoom. Okay. Uh, which also which also served us very well when um, when the pandemic hit because you literally just take your computer home with you and you have everything you have your telephone you have your systems we still had some stragglers uh, straggler systems that were server based but the IT team did a wonderful job of building those applications on Azure so. The combination of of being able to never lose touch with our clients through the Zoom platform, whether it be a phone call or a meeting where you can see the person's face, combined with the efforts that we did on on the pay-per-click side, really helped us pivot very quickly into what you saw, that big webinar spike that happened right after um, COVID hit. 
you know, they were all like everybody, everybody was hosting a webinar. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was never more critical for our people, for our, for the customers that we serve, because at the same time, the regulatory market just exploded around it. You know, it was uh, everything. And, and, and the government kept changing the rules on them. So we had this constant need from clients that were genuinely at a loss for how to navigate this new market and tax regs and loans and everything on how to, what do they need to do? Um, and our approach very much was to, to be able to help them through that. You know, they're, mm-hmm. that was our focus. That's why we're here. Um, and we were able to use all these various platforms that we have to really connect with them and understand what they're looking for and, and serve them well. On the back end of all of that, we have HubSpot as our, as our CRM which is connected to our web activity. Um, it's integrated with Zoom and it's integrated with our Outlook. So it's allowing That's us great. to move. It's a, yeah, it's allowing, it really is. It's allowing us to move our conversations forward with clients um, and really understanding their pain points sometimes better than they do because we can see what they're, we, we can sometimes see what they're looking for. And you know, like, like our conversations that we had about podcasts, you don't know what you don't know, right? But you kind of go down this path of trying to understand how things work. And we're able to help our clients because we can see that path of what they're searching for and what they're looking for, what webcasts, what webinars they they attend. Um, and then we're able to capture all that data and really be efficient and there for them in a timely manner. Mm-hmm. No, that... That that makes sense. And thank you for some of that detail, because I suspected that you guys uh, had a pretty robust uh, system. And thanks for going into the detail to really uh, to confirm that. And I did not know about the Zoom transition. And uh, boy, that was uh, that that was tremendous uh, foresight on your part to anticipate COVID. Right. And switch to Zoom (laughs) before COVID arrived. Right. (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to say that I had that kind of foresight. <laughs> Understood. Um, <laughs> now, yep. do uh, do um, I assume that the firm experienced the same uh, increase in um, in in revenue due to all the COVID-related items, the pay- payroll protection program, the other things? Is that a fair assumption that the firm had a especially busy 2020? Uh, 2020 was busy, absolutely. Um, 2020, uh, 2020 was busy, different than twin, than any other year, as you can imagine. And we're beginning to see 2021 being busy, different than 2020 was. Um, at this point, I feel that you know, from a from how we serve our clients, I'm so grateful that our foundation is there. You know that Sheila spent Sheila spent that time in in working with the partners and figuring out what our matrix of service offerings look like, right? Because it really creates the foundation for how we serve service our clients. So it when when these interesting things happen like PPP loans and now we're in the forgiveness and um you know we're in this constant I feel like we're in constant PPP world because I you know my accountant has to deal with it as well. Um, 
we're not building the plane as we're flying. It feels, it doesn't feel that frantic that I notice from people out um, trying to run their businesses because we really took the time to build our service offerings from the ground up and really think it through and be thoughtful about it. So we're very clear about where where the service offering or where the government initiative falls in and who who can serve the clients and who can be on that task force and move it forward. Um, so from a revenue generating uh, perspective, that has been very helpful that we've mirrored the our matrix line of business service offerings with our marketing efforts like I've replicated replicated that everywhere with the team so what our service offerings are is mirrored in our marketing efforts and it's mirrored in our accounting Mm -hmm. so when we get to revenue generation or new initiatives people people don't have they're not wondering they know whose initiative is this is they know who needs to to take this ball and run with it and I don't have to continue to create new ops or new systems or new processes for them because it fits into what is already happening. Mm-hmm. Now, that makes a lot of sense. And I can <clears throat> appreciate that that made 2020 not quite as frantic because you had a framework within which to overlay the PPP programs and, and such. Uh, so I'm curious you know, so since everybody was was busy, and uh, and you know, and the, the disruption of working from home was was did anybody ever happen to mention last year? Hey, Ilsa, why are we spending this time and money on marketing when we already have more business than we can handle? Did that just out of curiosity? Did that conversation ever come up? No, you know, it genuinely did not. I think our questions. Um, from a budget perspective, if you think it through, last year was not a difficult um, year for marketing because essentially all funds for in-person sponsorships or um, events, and- yeah, event planning, all of that um, was delayed. You know, and you can't, you mm. can't. It's not genuinely delayed because you're not, you're only going to have a gala once a year, right? So, right. Um, you know, it was it was genuinely just a pivot to online and digital, um, emails, phone calls, webinars. But no, that question did not come up because there was a large chunk of what we usually do that we didn't that we just simply couldn't get to. I see. I hadn't thought about it that way. So you actually ended up with, you know, with excess marketing dollars, didn't you? Or at least partway through the year, you had excess dollars that you could either redeploy to more online or just, uh, you know, save for a future uh, year, I guess. Is that right? Absolutely. And as I mentioned with the pay-per-click campaign assets, you know, we made sure to expand that so that we had more assets. Um, And we also worked through a massive restructure of our website last year. which was which was always in the budget, um, and that launched uh, last week. So, in terms okay. of the initiatives that we had going on that were foundational, right? The core of what our marketing initiatives needed, the core of our marketing functions 
and strategic initiatives, those still happened. You know, we restructured the website. We continued to expand our pay-per-click campaigns. Um, and then when it came to sponsorships and to, and to events and things like that, we didn't reallocate all the funds. Um, we used some of the funds to, to invest in tools that gave us better data like Zoom info, um, you know, which provides you with lists of, of people that you can target for, for specific webinars or for specific marketing initiatives, which is the next evolution in our marketing, um, in our marketing cycle, which is why I was always excited to talk to you about podcasts, uh, because it will be our first foray where we're really not just marketing to clients and referral sources, but actually dipping our toe in the world of marketing to people who have no relationship with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So with that, why don't we, uh, let's drill down more into the podcast. So, uh, you know, so as we had talked about before, you're uh, considering a, a podcast to, to supplement the current marketing. Um, are, from what you've learned so far, you know, what are some of the aspects of, of podcasting that, that seems uh, intriguing to you? Or some of the benefits of podcasting that seems intriguing, other than that that you just mentioned of reaching audience that you maybe haven't reached already. You know, I've, so since we've last talked, I've I've done quite a bit of reading on it, and I think where I've landed on what is the most important addition to the marketing mix, and it's genuinely not even an addition to the marketing mix. It's a different way of sharing knowledge with our clients. Um, okay. Um, webinars are great, right? They're they're fantastic. You're sitting at your desk, you're working, you turn the webinar on in the background. But a podcast has a different feel to it. You're out walking. You maybe missed the webinar and you got the recording of the webinar, um, but you're still kind of tied to a certain extent, to your device to go through and, and listen to it and read the slides. What I like about adding podcasts is that we are in this constantly evolving landscape at the moment, right? And people are thirsty for this knowledge and how to practically apply it to their business. Um, and I just see podcasts from that perspective, the, the regulatory constant change being a great way be able to have a more conversational tone, educational experience for our clients. That's an interesting approach. I hadn't really thought about the regulatory aspect, but you're right. It would be very easy to, you know, have some new regulatory item. You could have a, uh, you could record a quick podcast and have it, you know, live in a couple days, and uh, and and be able to, you know, reach. 8 billion people on earth potentially, or, you know, the ones of the 8 billion who are interested in hearing about it. That's really interesting because I've, having had a podcast a couple of years, I've thought about a lot of the ways to use it, but I hadn't thought about it from that perspective as far as a way to give regulatory update. And you can also, the other nice thing about a podcast, it's appropriate for what Tim Ferriss calls long form content or said another way, you know, podcasts that go on for more than an hour. 
Uh, and so that's a good point because if somebody really wants to drill into the detail, you could have a, a an hour long podcast that goes into, uh, uh, I don't want to say excruciating detail, but into to great detail. So, uh, so thank you for that, that idea. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, in, any other uh, ideas that you have around how you might use a podcast? Yeah, I, I, I've, in my research, I've also, as you know, having been having work here, recruiting is always a constant um, endeavor. Mm-hmm. Um, and at Briggs, we have amazing stories. Uh, we have people who have come up from being interns. Um, you know, some of the partner stories are incredible. I, I would say that Sheila hiring me as a you know, as a consultant, single mom into the COO role is a is a an amazing attestation to kind of what the approach here is about how they look at people and what they can do, right? Versus what their situation is, which you don't often. I mean, we talk a good talk, but you don't really see it often in the market. Um, and as a female, you know, as a female CEO and as a female COO, I. I think on the flip side of that, the diversity and inclusion conversations that are happening are very important at the moment. Um, And I'm seeing students really gravitate towards that. Um, Mm -hmm. Interns that are are looking for a place, they're looking for a place to land where they know that they really, that that people are being put first. Um, So I see great potential on the, on the recruiting side in terms of just telling the stories of the people who work here because they're incredible. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I love even listening to your story about having worked here where I don't have necessarily that depth of experience and history here yet. Um, I love capturing that, right? Because every time I talk about Briggs, then I, I know a little bit more and I'm, and I understand the history more and I understand how Briggs, help people get to to their leadership role or their place in the organization irrespective of what would be considered a limiting set of of data in their lives mm-hmm. um, so that's critical for me i think that on the recruiting and telling those stories that would be very powerful as well Okay. And, and just to, I want to just accentuate something that I think is so indicative of the firm's inclusive nature. And that is that, you know, not only are you and Sheila both females and who, who based on what you let slip, I'm guessing you're both about 47 years old, uh, based because you said you were born the same year as the firm. (laughs) Um, But the other interesting thing is that if I'm correct, neither you nor Sheila were actually born in the United States. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Sheila's from the Philippines and um, I'm from South Africa. So that's the accent. I thought it was an Alabama accent all this time, but that's actually from <laughs> South Africa. Okay. Okay. Well, Further that's good. South. <laughs> Further South and East or West. Right. I guess it'd be more East. Um, so, so you're imagining for recruiting stories, and uh, and and what about like, uh, do you plan or would you imagine any client sort of uh, spotlight stories or client success stories? Yeah, we've actually just launched a, cal- a, ca- a client appreciation calendar um, 
That's what I'm calling it. I'm sure my marketing team will cringe when they hear me call it that. that. Um, You know, we just had International Women's Day. um, We have Black History Month. Um, We've had clients who've been with us probably since you've been here, probably since the start, honestly, um, who are extraordinarily loyal. um, And our client stories are equally as amazing as our employee stories. So... As part of this, it would be so wonderful to get to learn, you know, to to explain their story or give them a platform to to tell their story to a broader audience. Um, and as we're moving through through launching and solidifying, excuse me, that calendar, I really did think that having a podcast and just having them on there and having whomever the partner is that the person is that brought them into the firm, perhaps having that conversation with them about where they started as a client with us and where their business is now, because some of those growth stories is worthwhile telling. Oh, that's a really interesting idea. So just to make sure I understand, you have have maybe a client who's been with the firm 10 years and you would have the partner who uh, maybe initially brought the client on board uh, interview that client and kind of tell the whole story uh, and have the continuity of that same client and the same partner through the duration of the relationship. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be fun to listen to? It would be, it would be, huh? That's, that's another great idea. Yeah. I've got to tell you, that is the most enjoyable part for me of having a podcast. Like when I interviewed John Flatowitz, the, one of the founding partners, Johnny Veselka, he sent me a really nice email after he heard that. And he said, he said, Dave, this is probably the best one hour recorded history of Briggs and Veselka that exists. And that was so, uh, I mean, I've always just adored Johnny. I mean, what a fine gentleman. Uh, and his uh, uh, observation of that was just a great uh sense of of stewardship that I had the privilege of uh, being able to have the platform that allowed John to, uh, to, to tell the whole story. So I can tell you firsthand that that is, that is uh, uh, a, a really unique experience that I don't know how you get outside of a podcast to, to share those stories, because like you'd said, it's not, you know, a webinar is not where you would do it. A, uh, a long email is not really the appropriate place for it. Uh, you could have a live event that you could tell a portion of the story, but you probably don't have an hour to tell the story, but then only the people there get to hear it. So, uh, yeah, I think it is a great storytelling platform. I agree. Um, and I think as you, so I just have a, an add on to that. I think as you diversify through all the platforms that you have available, right? Like we have a face. Briggs and Veselka has a Facebook, right? There's a place for that and there's content for that. We have LinkedIn. There's a place for that and there's content for that. But all of those are snippets of information. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those are shout outs or perhaps a longer paragraph. We have webinars, we have emails. But to your point, um, if something grabs you in a snippet that's provided on LinkedIn at the moment, um, my intent or my goal is to allow a place for you to go to actually listen to the full story. Um, Mm. 
because you can't, uh, to your point, you cannot tell the full story of that client evolution or, you know, how amazing that employee story is or getting to know a new partner just through that, the two sentences that you could congratulate them on LinkedIn. It's just not possible. And there's so much behind it and so much hard work that went into, into that accomplishment. And that's just kind of lost at the moment. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd read an interesting statistic that the average YouTube video watcher watches for less than a minute before they go to the next video. Mm-hmm. But the, the average podcast listener, and I'm working from memory here, I think it's about 15 minutes of engagement, in, in which is to me astonishing, a 15x increase in the duration of the uh, participation by the listener. Uh that is unique because I can't think of any other platform that you could get an engagement of 15 minutes. I mean, let alone an hour. That's a great statistic. Um, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, we see what we see people hover for seconds on a web page, and we get excited. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> so, um, uh, so since, you know, while you have me here, did you, um, have any questions for me about my experience with having a podcast or any lessons learned? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, yeah. Um, so one of the, I guess one of my biggest questions is whether you've come across something while you've done podcasts that simply, that just, you would just say, just avoid it. Don't do it. Um, so let me think about that. So I've done, let's see, I've done 24 podcasts on the other, on the IC Disc Show, 21 of which have been released. This is my first episode here. Um, you know, I, I really, oh, oh, so here's here's what I would say. So um, the, the biggest thing I would say, the biggest, you're, let me answer your question this way. If you're asking me what's the biggest mistake I've made with podcasting or the biggest lesson I've learned, the thing I wish I'd done differently, could I answer the question that way? Sure. Um, it's that I wish I'd started sooner. Um, you know, I've always been an avid podcast listener. I shouldn't say always, but probably for the last seven or eight years. <clears throat> and for probably five or six years, I wanted to have a podcast. But every time I would look at it, I would just get overwhelmed with the complexity of it and you know all the different equipment you needed and just and and the complexity of getting it published and and having a keeping up with it. And then when I was able to piggyback on uh, what a, another company was doing with their podcast, and they basically just let me piggyback mine on, the my biggest takeaway was not just taking action sooner, but but I. I guess if I think through that, they, um, I didn't really have an option to do something uh, sooner. But, but I would say the lesson is don't overthink it and don't overthink the technology. Like I was just looking at, uh, at a couple firms that do kind of done for you podcasting and their process from start until you'd have your first podcast live was like 90 days because there was just, so much complexity in their model because you know they maybe had an audio engineering background and they wanted to make sure that it was like world-class audio for you know um 
you know, fit for, uh, for like, uh, uh, you know, public radio, uh, you know, quality podcast. Um, you know, whereas for our clients, I mean, from the time somebody says, yes, they want to have a podcast until we're, their podcast is live. It isn't three months. It's, it's three weeks. So I'd say the biggest takeaway is it's so easy to get uh, paralysis or paralysis by analysis with a podcast. It's so easy to get um, too hyper-focused on um, like, I'll give you an example. As soon as we're done interviewing, I'll record what's called an intro where it just kind of sets the stage. It gives kind of a summary of what we talked about. And it's usually a minute to a minute and a half long. When I first got into this, I would spend an hour just recording and re-recording and re-recording. So it wasn't quite perfect, but I'd say the last 10 podcasts I've done, I do my intros in just one take um, because I've discovered that uh, the, the perfection when it comes to podcasting, perfection is the enemy of, of good or, or, or really good. So I know that was kind of a long-winded answer to your question. Did that answer your question? It did. It did. Don't uh, overthink it. Don't shoot for perfection. I, I think I, I got it. Um, and it's easier than I, than I think, but I think it's easier because I'm not trying to do it from scratch, right? Um, right. Like, I, I do think this is a, a question that's going to come across as a statement. I think that if you have a really lean marketing team, I have a very lean marketing team, um, the, the, the burden to add a podcast um, to the mix can seem overwhelming. So to your point, I, I recognize how you say don't overthink it, but also... Uh, which is why I've I've genuinely seen the value of what you've proposed because there is setup from what I understand you're saying that would be time consuming. Yeah, it's a and just to be to be clear, just for the listeners, uh, I've actually launched. You know, we've been helping companies informally for a while, and I formally launched a, a company called Your Podcast Team. Uh, the website is yourpodcast.team. And our service offering is called uh, Podcast Done For You. Uh, and what we've done is we've tried to make it as simple as possible uh, to where all that really is required to do a podcast is just what has happened today, that both parties call into a recorded dial-in line. And then at the end of it, you hang up and the uh, interviewer then um, immediately gets an email with a link. They click the link. You enter the uh, a, a few sentences about the podcast. Just record the intro, and then the podcast gets transcribed. So you now have uh, you know an, uh, forty five minutes to an hour of uh, transcribed content. And then uh, you know we prepare the email, uh, the kind of the first draft of the email to go out, and then we also create the artwork for the episode for social media posting. And so, uh, anyway, I didn't mean for this to be a commercial about our service, but that's the idea is that, and the other thing about a podcast, a good podcast is better than a potentially perfect podcast that never gets launched. And, uh, and the other thing is your pod, I heard it said that, that if you have like a technology product and you look back to your original product from three years ago. And if you're not embarrassed about it, about that product, 
then you waited too long to launch it. Or said another way, if you if you wait till it's perfect, you'll never launch. And that what will happen is you'll just get better over time. Your, your 20th episode will be better than the first because you just will have gotten better at the questions and the experience. And uh, But anyway, again, I'm off on a tangent. But yeah, that's kind of the idea that you've uh, our clients tend to have lean teams. And you also pointed out something so profound when we spoke last time that you said you're a big fan of outsourcing, not so much because of the economics of it, but as far as the institutional knowledge that if you rely on a, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said if if you rely totally on internal people, that if one of those people leaves, like you lose all that institutional knowledge, where if you're using strategic partners, that institutional knowledge doesn't get lost just because an employee left. Is that is that an accurate yeah, recount? Accurate. Yeah, I, I'm constantly striving for the perfect mix of internal and strategic partners. Um, you know, there are just certain things that if 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 the skill is with an employee and they leave, I'm really operationally in a tough spot. But if I if I have that like a podcast is a great example. If I have that with a strategic partner, that seamlessly continues, right? Um, irrespective mm-hmm. of turnover on my side. Um, yeah, from a business continuity perspective, I'm always striving for the perfect mix of that. Um, and I try not to take on in-house, very technical, um, very technical in-depth type of endeavors that we're you know, if somebody leaves, I'm going to have to try and really back to building the plane as I fly, you know, trying to figure yeah. it out from that perspective, um, where with, with what you and I were discussing, and I do appreciate you going back over all of it. Um, I know you didn't intend to do an advert, but it just reminded me of all the components of it again. Um, but doing it this way, you know, I just, I just go and find, um, you know, I, I have an easy agenda and I go and find somebody new to just call into the line and everything on the back end is taken care of versus trying to figure out how the equipment works and do I have equipment and where do I post it? And what happens? Um, that's mm-hmm. a different, that's a different experience for sure. Sure. Well, I can't, as I, as I told you that we, we were targeting a 30 minutes for this and I told you that the time would fly by and can you believe it's already been 45 minutes? I Uh, just looked myself and realized it. Yeah. So with that, why don't we wrap up? Um, Is there anything that you wish we talked about that we didn't? No. Okay. Pretty good, but I'm going to email you if I come across something that I want to know more about. (laughs) <laughs> yes, absolutely. So if people want to learn more about the firm or they want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to do so? Absolutely. Yeah. So our website, uh, I would love for people to go to our new website is bvccpa.com. Um, my, everybody has a bio page. You can click through and try, find my em- email and contact details there. Um, and I would love to hear thoughts, feedback, any any additional tips on what people have seen work working and what they want to hear about. 
Okay. So if, if people uh, who listen to the podcast, you want to reach out with comments or questions, uh, they could just go to the website, go to your uh, profile page and go ahead and send you an email from there. Yeah, I would spell my name on the podcast. <laughs> I think people would never get find my email. I mean, I could try. Well, yeah, let's give it a go. Uh, okay. What is your email address? So it's my full name, Ilza Rue. It's Ilza, I-L-S-E dot R-E-W at B-V-C-C-P-A dot com. Excellent. Well, Ilsa, this has been a real treat for me. Uh, and I really appreciate your um, uh, just your openness, uh, you know, to kind of speak about uh, the progress you all have made with your the the marketing initiatives and your uh, uh, willingness to uh, to explore, uh, you know, making additions to the marketing mix with with a podcast. And so this has really been uh, been fun. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to uh, to to talk to me. Yeah, thanks, David. I, you know, my intent was to get on, get on here and, and learn the kind of the process by doing and um, you really have shown me that it is very easy. Well, good. And I appreciate it. <laughs> well, that is great. Well, thank you again so much for your time in this, this uh, episode will be live in, in about a week. So have a great day, Elsa. Thank you too. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.podcastingstories.com. This podcast is brought to you by your podcast team. If you have ever considered having your own podcast, head over to www.yourpodcast.team to learn more about how they can help you. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.